0: Now entering Nerdist.com
1: This is Ben Blacker, the creator of the Nerdist Writers panel. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, and tell me who you want to hear on the Nerdist Writers panel, and I will try to get them. We each have a job. Uh, I am a writer for television and comic books, and uh, the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour stage show in the style of old-time radio, which you can listen to uh, as a podcast on the Nerdist Network, this very network that you're listening to right now. If you would like to see The Thrilling Adventure Hour in person, and you live in Chicago, New York, or LA, you are in luck. We're bringing the show to Chicago's Reskin Theater at DePaul University as part of C2E2, Chicago's Comic-Con. And we are bringing all of our pals, some of the regular work juice players, as we call them, the regular stars of the show, Mark Evan Jackson, Craig Gakowski, Mark Agliardi, Hal Lublin, we are also bringing some unbelievable guest stars to Chicago, including Timothy Amundsen from Psych, Richard Spate Jr. from Band of Brothers and Supernatural and everything, uh, Molly Quinn from Castle, Kevin Murphy and Bill Corbett from Rift Tracks and Mystery Science Theater 3000, Ryder Strong from Boy Meets World, Janet Varney from The Legend of Korra and also Everything Great. Um, and these are just several of the people that we will be bringing to Chicago on April 26th. You can get tickets via our website, thrillingadventurehour.com. And please come. It's going to be great. The show is so much fun. We'll have some surprises in store. Um, In New York, we have even more great people because so many great people live there. Sorry, Chicago. Great people live there too, but these are people who are actors on stage. Um, We're coming to New York to Town Hall on May 10th for a big show. Starring all of the Work Juice players, Paul F. Tompkins, Padgett Brewster, Busy Phillips, Mark Evan Jackson, Craig Kakowski, Hal Lublin, and more. Uh, we'll also have some very special guest stars, including John Hodgman, Scott Adsit. Oh, Adsit's going to be in Chicago, too. I keep forgetting to tell people that. Adsit will be in Chicago and New York. Uh, but in New York, we've got uh, Hodgman, Adsit, uh, This American Life's Ira Glass, uh, Terry Kinney from Oz, Paul and Storm musical duo, Jonathan Colton, uh, musician, and every all-around nice guy. Uh, It's going to be a blast. Come see that show at Town Hall in New York, a huge show. Uh, On May the 10th, again, you can get tickets via the link on our website, thrillingadventurehour.com. And finally, L.A., we are here every month doing shows at Largo at the Coronet. And our next one is a special show on April 22nd, Sparks Nevada's I'm From Earth Day special. uh, Starring Mark Evan Jackson, Mark Gagliardi, Busy Phillips, and even more of our friends. Uh, It's going to be guest-written by some very exciting guest writers, which I can't tell you about yet because it's a secret. Um, But come out to that show at Largo on April 22nd. So that's April 22nd, LA, April 26th, Chicago, May 10th, New York City. Hope you will join us for those. As ever, thank you for listening. Go to thrillingadventurehour.com for all of the details about Thrilling Adventure Hour's upcoming shows and events. Thank you. Enjoy this podcast.
0: It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel Ben Blacker talking writing with writers yeah.
1: Hi, welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel Script Notes <laughs> Crossover Edition <laughs> My name is Ben Blacker, I'm the creator of the Nerdist Writers Panel and I'm thrilled to have with me today John August and Craig Mason from Script Notes Give them a <laughs> round of applause Um, for those of you who are regular Nerdist Writers panel listeners you can hear the first half of this uh, podcast which is a two part podcast crossover event just like Buffy and Angel used to do um, John where can they find it
2: uh, they can find it online at, on iTunes where it's script notes uh, in the podcast section you can also find us at johnautos.com yes do
1: not go to a regular store you cannot find podcasts there No. Um, <laughs> let's get into it you guys all right,
2: so what should we get into next? Oh, wait. <laughs> You're, we had, this part. There was a cliffhanger. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um. Did
1: you, we, we said, here's what happened. Back in the green room, John suggested that we go out on some sort of cliffhanger. Yeah. And I said, well, maybe we should talk about cliffhangers. And then none of us could think of really any cliffhangers that we wanted to talk about. Oh, I could. And, I
3: just never got the opportunity. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well,
1: mostly, we talked over Craig a lot. Um, and, then, and then, for lack of anything to say about cliffhangers, I asked, Did you see Scandal last week? Because I heard it was a cliffhanger episode.
3: I did not see it.
2: I did not see it either. Did you
3: see it? I'm still just learning that Scandal's a show. Oh, right there.
0: <laughs>
3: Shonda
1: Rhimes, anytime you want to be on Nerdist yeah. Riders panel. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, I'm glad we could finally do this. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, I told you guys I wanted to kick off my half of the show. Uh, which will be very brief, because we want to make sure we get questions from our live audience here at Meltdown Comics. Um, I just want to say yes. that I'm really
2: happy to hear a siren in the distance, because uh, uh, the siren in the distance is one of the, the hallmarks of the Script <laughs> Notes podcast, is that Craig lives apparently above a fire station, and, uh, and there's always a siren.
3: I like firefighters.
2: Ah, who does not?
1: The sirens are a trope of any script- screenwriting podcast. Yeah. They, they truly are. We get them all the time. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy them in yours. <laughs> Um, I, th- I said I would start by asking you guys what you are working on now. Because, like, you, I've listened to the most recent episodes of Script Notes, and you guys only kind of allude to things. Yeah. Uh, and I wondered if you weren't allowed to talk about them, or if you just, yeah, it just don't care weird. to. That just seems weird. No, I, I really want to I, I mean, it
3: seems weird just on our own to, like, right. Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> a little catch-up part of right, your podcast. Right. Before well, it well I
2: think it's actually a really interesting question because you mostly talk with TV writers, and TV writers, like, they're employed on a show, yeah. generally. So, like, you can say, like, I, I leave my house, I like, go to this place, and I work on this show. And there's a thing, and it's right. ultimately there's something that's going to come up on the air. Versus a lot of times as a future writer. I'm reluctant to say what I'm specifically working on because I have no idea if it's going to shoot. And so it could be happening three years from now. It could not happen. Or I may just be doing sort of a a quiet little rewrite on some other movie that I don't want to talk about it. Um, (laughs) Right now, I'm currently writing a project to direct. We'll see when that ends up happening. But I'm really excited about it. (laughs) It's the the thing that I would direct next. But I'm also writing a show that um, if we were to do it, we would not shoot a pilot. We would go and, and shoot a bunch of episodes all at once, which is the way I feel like TV kind of should happen. So um, I'm doing that. I can't say anything more about it for, for specific, very specific reasons, but it's that idea of um, a short um, eight or ten episodes that would all happen at once so we could get some people who would not normally do television to do it.
1: Uh, may I ask about this project you're writing to direct yourself? Yes. Um, when you're sitting down to write something like this, do you approach it in a way that's different from writing for another director or for a studio or even just on spec?
2: Yeah, I think that's that's really dangerous to you know, to put on your director's hat too early. And there's there's, there's things that you know as a director, like, oh, God, that's going to be really, really hard to do. And so therefore, you might not put it on the page, but that's a generally a huge mistake. You have to be able to write this thing as if someone else is going to direct it so that you're not limiting yourself in any crazy way. Um, uh, there may be some th- cases where, like, I know that I do not want to shoot a movie that's entirely outdoors at night. I've done that before. That's awful. Um, so I would I would not sort of pick that movie overall. Right. But I don't want to sort of limit myself down to only doing things that I can are, are simple because that's not the the best choice overall.
1: What and 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 I'm sorry, Craig. Yeah. We'll we'll get to you in one moment. But I'm very curious I'm about shutting this down stuff. over here. It's fine. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, what do you get out of directing that you don't get out of writing?
2: It's that chance to uh, to creates something that really wouldn't fit anyone else's brain. So the only other movie I've directed so far is The Nines, and The Nines was very much like it only... You should
1: applaud yeah, for that. i applaud them yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: absolutely Nines.
1: Sure. They were so hesitant about I it. Excited, I just wanted yeah. to coax it.
2: Um, with The Nines, that was a movie that sort of it wouldn't make sense for anyone else to direct it. it. was like There was a hugely autobiographical component. It was... It kind of only made sense for me to sort of do it. Um, so it, it wasn't going to... I couldn't hand the script off to somebody and say, like, hey, direct this movie. The movie I'm writing right now... Honestly, someone else could direct it. So it's a matter of, am I the right person to direct it? I hope I am. I think I am. Um, and it's, it, it's the kind of movie I really want to see out there in the world. So that would be the. Reason. That was. This
1: is actually a question I wanted to ask both of you guys, um, because we kind of we know you from certain kinds of movies. Which is not to say you write keep writing the same kinds of movies, but like, even on the podcast, you talk a lot about Big Fish and some of the Tim Burton movies or the Hangover movies and Identity Thief, uh, Theft um,
2: Thief. Thief. It <laughs> was it was made it col- a thief. Yeah. Oh
1: maybe I only heard about it on
2: the podcast. No. It's it's, the movie's actually called Stolen Identity. Yeah.
3: And like he that. wrote Halloween yet. Um,
1: but given your druthers, if you're sitting down to write a movie that is the movie that you want to see in the world, what is that thing? And and you know, my mind says, well, maybe for John, that's go, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's the first thing we know you for. Uh, But it's not like anything else you've written, at least as far as I can tell.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great challenge for every writer is to think about not just, like, what movie do I think I can get made, but, like, what movie do I most wish could exist in the world? Because that's the one you're actually going to probably come back to and actually finish the nine drafts of and and still – keep writing because if it's something that somebody else could have made or that you've seen before, kind of why bother? And so that was the, the situation with Go, that was the situation with Big Fish, really with Charlie's Angels, Angels also. Like That was a movie I really wanted to exist and so therefore I was willing to work very hard to have that happen. And there are times where I am just like the craftsman who just comes in and like does the work on that other person's movie and that can be fine but the movies that are your, your own, that you really invest in are because you want that movie to exist out there.
1: Absolutely, and that's what you know. we always hear about writing a pilot, yeah. where beginning writers are asked to write a spec pilot these days, not a, yeah. a spec of an existing episode. Right. like and their own thing. Exactly, yeah. and everyone says, you know, write the thing you're most passionate about, because you can tell. Yeah. Um, but I wonder, is there something that you can, e- even an existing movie, that you can say, I wish I had written that, or that's the voice of the thing, or that's the kind of thing I would like to do. Uh,
2: I will say, in general, the, the reason that what got me to sit down and actually start writing this one was seeing Gravity um, because Gravity to me, um, I, I tweeted this like actually right after I, I saw it was that television has so dominated I think our cinematic storytelling in a way like the, yeah. our television has gotten so good that to me the experience of watching Gravity was like Alfonso Crohn said no 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 stop television movies and it's like it was reminded like this is this can only be a movie and. Um, I had this idea for something that I really felt was only a movie and really wanted it to happen in those 90 minutes. So that's, that's, really that's cool. what got me sitting down to write this.
3: Uh, what about you, Kirk? Um, there's uh, th- basically three things that I'm working on right now that are in different s- places, and they're all very different for me, very different than stuff I've done before, and in a very satisfying way. The first is an adaptation of a graphic novel called Cowboy Ninja Viking, which... Theoretically, somebody in here might have heard of it. No, 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 that's good. And and what was that a sound? <laughs> um, uh, well, I actually like that nobody's heard of it. Um, it's very, it's, it's a, it's it's a great concept. Um, but it's uh, it's for Mark Forster to direct, and it's pretty much a story of um, a story of a, of a I guess a born kind of agent. But he's mentally ill. And he's mentally ill in a very specific and interesting way. Um, It's not funny. It's sad. He's mentally ill. Um, And and it is about, it's a movie about what it means to be mentally ill and what it means when the thing that makes you uh, useful and special is the thing that separates you from... The rest of humanity and from the people that you love so it's a that, that's been really fun and challenging and great to write and and so we're hoping that we can get that one going we're
1: Is this something that you sought out is this something that was brought to you
3: it was it was brought to me um, and um, yeah and I started working on what it what made it
1: the the thing
3: that was that you said yes to I really respond there was a prior draft actually that was more I think in keeping with the tone of the graphic novel, which is sort of light and quippy. And um, I just sort of fell in love with the question of what it meant. I'm just fascinated by mental illness anyway, and, and particularly interested in the idea of your 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 blessing being your curse. And, and figuring out how to integrate your own personality when the thing about you that is unwell is the thing that's kind of keeping you going. Which, I mean, I'm always looking for an idea that is special so that people go oh I would see that but then while they're watching it inside of it there's something that connects to the common human condition you know I mean um, otherwise you just don't know what the point is you know so but there is I think even if we're not mentally ill we all understand what it means to have a crutch uh, an emotional crutch or a mental crutch or a psychological crutch so that's what kind of drew me to it And, and I really like the idea of kind of Writing something where, um, well, I just you know also not writing a comedy was a nice change of pace for me because I had done in the past. I had I had sort of started to drift away from writing comedy, and then I kind of got sucked back in. And and so, what
1: what phase are you in this so that's, project?
3: That's done. It's budgeted, and now we're kind of waiting to. I think they're in the level of cast and so on, and so you know trying to figure out okay. uh, that part. The then for kind of funsies. Um, <laughs> I've been uh, doing a rewrite on The Huntsman, which is um, the kind of like... I don't know, it's like the sidequel. Not a sequel, it's a sidequel to Snow White and the Huntsman, um, where uh, Chris Hemsworth is back and fighting with dwarves. And yeah. Seems unfair. Yes.
1: <laughs> um, no, 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 he's fighting alongside dwarves. Yes.
3: Uh, he wouldn't ever... Certainly not. It's just not cool. Yeah. Um, so that's just I'm I'm finishing that up this week, and then and, um, and what is
1: what was again? How did you get involved with this? Was it an existing script or Were you brought on from the There was beginning? an existing
3: script, and um, this was more of a Hey, you know, we really like the story. Could you maybe just come and keep the story, but sort of work through a different execution of that story? Um, and so and so I've been doing that and it's been really fun because I, I'm a big I, I love I do love the fantasy genre and, and so it's been great to write, you know, awful villains with English accents. It's <laughs> fun, you know? Um so so I've been doing that. And but the thing that I'm most excited about, unfortunately I can't yet say what the book is, but I can say who's involved and then it'll give you a sense of why I'm excited. Um it's a book that um Lindsay Duran who I don't know if you guys are familiar with Lindsay she's, um, okay, she's a legendary Hollywood producer and she's um, among other things she produced Dead Again and Sense and Sensibility and uh, Nanny McPhee films and Stranger Than Fiction so she brought me a book years ago and, um, and it's a, it's a, it was a bestseller in another country um, and Scott Frank um, put himself on to direct and I'm going to write it and she's going to produce it and it just was a 7 year odyssey to figure out the rights and all the rest of it and at last we got the rights and and we it's something that we're going to be making for um working title and universal and so that's that's the one that to me that's it's kind of the one I've been waiting for you know and and I'm really, and, the, and the funny thing is it's not like it's a family movie you know it's a movie that people are going to go see it's not uh yeah, it's not Winter's Bone. It's um, <laughs> <laughs> nothing against Winter's Bone. I'm just you yeah. know, it w- I, I just didn't want anyone to think like uh, that. The whole point was that it would be some very narrow, yeah. dark thing.
1: These are the three very different kinds of films, and yes. I would ask you the same thing that that John was talking about. You know, given your druthers, what is the thing that you want to see in the world? And I, I would assume you've had opportunity to kind of pitch original material and to yep. develop that stuff. Sure. Have you gone down a road where you've at least gotten close or have you made the thing that you want to see
3: I think I've I've had a lot of success at making the thing that was supposed to be made you know um, which is in and of itself a skill Um, you know Todd Phillips didn't need me to tell him what The Hangover 2 was supposed to be you know I was there to help Um, I will say that for me particularly because movies are so collaborative and so many uh, moving parts come into play that I don't, I try and avoid the trap of a genre being the thing that I wanna chase. All I really want to pursue is some idea that is a, a, an argument. I wanna make an argument, mm-hmm. and it changes every time, but I just wanna make a point. And the movie around that point, to me, is actually less important than the point. And maybe well, sometimes the, I the trappings of the movie. The trappings yeah. of the movie. You know, like when I, the reason, so Identity Thief, there was a pre existing script of that. And when I came along, the reason I wanted to do Identity Thief more than anything is I wanted to tell a story that said something different to the American man. It's, it just said, you are absolutely okay. You're fine. You're making $38,000 a year, you're in debt. But you're with your family, you're okay. It's going to be fine, and and that was what I did. That's why I th- did that movie. Um, I mean, it it looks like something else, <laughs> but uh, but but. But those are bells
1: and whistles around the central argument or question. Right, and they're question. fun
3: bells and they're fun yeah. whistles. But ultimately, that's so I all I really do now, all I think about now, is what's the point? And um, and you know, it's not something that I think a lot of. It's it's usually not that evident to anyone else. I think they're just going to see a comedy and have a great time, and I'm and I'm appreciative of that. But for me, just to get me to do something now, that's what I that's what I pursue. But that, and
1: that's a great way into a script. Obviously, yeah. is you know you you have a question that you're asking, or you're having an, a, making a, taking a side of an argument. Um, and I'm loath to ask where do your ideas come from. That is the worst question. Um, but how do you start exploring those questions?
3: the question of the, what should the argument yeah. be? Well, the there is typically an indication from the concept. You know, I mean, they, they kind of go hand in hand. So if somebody says to me, look, we want to make a movie about a guy who gets his identity stolen, and it's Jason Bateman, I start to think, okay, well, w- what what happens to you when your identity is stolen? And then I start to think of all the things, all the, the, uh, the ways it impacts you, and then I'm trying to find the opposite of it. I'm trying to find something so that Everything that you would panic about from having your identity stolen, I want to undermine so that in the end, it doesn't matter because your identity is not stealable if you accept who you are. All that they can take is your name, your money, and it sounds terrible, but in the end, you're still there. They can't take away the people that love you. They can't take away the fact that you love them. They can't take away the reasons those people love you, which are not the money and not that this and not the that. You know? So then I start to think in that way and then I start to think well who's this other person and how could she instruct him what, what, where has her life gone wrong and what is the lesson there and is she is she a trap in a way, is he going to try
2: and be like her only to realize oh no she's trying to be like me. So what, what Craig's actually describing is taking the premise which is basically the what, it, what happens and walk, work, sort of walking that back to what does that actually what, thematically what does that mean and so um, that, that, what does Identity means thematically uh, permeates the whole story, but the uh, service premise is this guy gets his identity stolen. This, the thing I'm working on right now is about trust, and um, that's the deep down underlying thing. But that, I didn't start with that; I started with the, a very high concept premise and um, really had to sort of look like, well, what are all the aspects of that? And if you were in this situation, wow, it would be incredibly hard to trust somebody, mm-hmm. and but you would need to trust somebody, and sort of what and that spills out through every you know, moment of the story.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Is, is that generally a way you walk yourself into a story then? Is you find whatever this hook is, whatever this concept is, and then approach it from a thematic yeah, it, angle? It,
2: it, it, what, is the, what is the premise, and who is the character? Who is the most, who is the, that central character you're going to build a thing around? Mm-hmm. And What's so different about features than television is features tend to be about a character or two characters, and it's, it's their journey, and it's it's what's going to happen over the course of about ninety minutes that is going to hopefully transform them. Even in the case of Go, where it's not the point is like not, they, they aren't transformed. You're gonna that journey is going to take about that much time. And it's not supposed to be a TV show. Um,
1: Go would be a great TV show.
2: They tried to make a Go TV show. Really? They really did. And uh, how it, far did they get? They, I think they shot a pilot. I've never seen it. But uh, <laughs> so um, you were heavily involved. I was, I was heavily involved. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they, they tried really? and, uh, it, I don't think it's a TV show I, I fundamentally don't think it is because I think it's, those are interesting characters but like they're interesting characters for that period and this of time microcosm, and, and, yeah. and there's no reason why those characters should cross over again that was a one time occurrence that all, all three sets of characters should but cross over but
1: thematically again. could you make it a TV show? it's about crossovers?
2: Yeah, uh, that's what the ah yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, a lot of that story. was an Edinburgh. Yeah.
1: But yeah. but you know the the idea of people's lives crossing over and how does that affect the separate lives? Yeah, I mean, would they, that still be Go?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they tried to make Crash a TV show also. Yeah. Um, it would be Go, but like uh, thematically, Go isn't about crossing over. It's, go is about that sense where of um, you've made a decision, uh, it's the wrong decision, but you can't go back. You just have to keep pushing forward, and that's what uh, from each of the characters' perspectives, that's what they have to do. They have, like. The, you you got to get going, and at the end of the day, you won't reach a, a great destination. You will pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and go back to work the next day. Um, it's mm-hmm. you know. So, what are you doing for New year. Year's? That's that's what that is thematically about, and I don't think that's a sustainable premise week after week. Um,
1: I think, and but goes a great example of you know a, a thematic approach to characters going right. And I'm always I always wonder, especially in features, you know, because I think in TV we tend to look at relationships and we look at characters, and then we look at theme. Mm-hmm. Um, but in features, how do you keep your characters from just becoming mouthpiece for theme?
3: well, you you really need to understand that we all walk around in living our own little themes. This is not. It's not an aphorism. It's not an epigram. It's a point of view. And it is, if you go to therapy, eventually they pull your theme out. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so what we do, um, particularly in features, you're looking at characters who don't quite believe what you want them to believe. They believe the opposite of what you want them to believe. And they're going to come to believe what you, as the writer, <laughs> want them to believe. And so what you're talking about are creating characters who do the things we all do. We lie to others and ourselves. We protect ourselves. We avoid the truth. We um, work overtime to distract um, our minds and our hearts from the things that cause us pain. And this is in every movie. This is in the silliest movies and in the most serious movies. So it actually, to me, it helps you create the character the, because they are unaware of the theme. They are actually, their lives are kind of existing in opposition to it. It helps you sort of start to fill out who it is, what they want, how they dress, how they speak, where they live. Every little question, you, you're building a, a little psychological profile.
2: But you as the screenwriter, you're also... You're, you're able to do that work because you're making things worse for your character at every point. And that's the, right. that's, that's the struggle I think a lot of new writers have. It's like, you love your characters. You don't want bad things to happen to them. Um, then But you write like six scripts and you realize like, no, no, bad things have to happen to them. You must put them through you know the crucible so they actually come out the other side and can actually get someplace. And what's interesting is that I feel like a lot of times even development executives don't fundamentally understand that. So I'll go in on meetings and on, on, a, on a pitch that I'm working on right now, and they kept saying like, well – you know, they don't need to do that or that we don't need to introduce that complication because, you know, they could just, like, no, didn't, these two characters are just gonna stand and look at each other and like, and say funny lines. There's not going to be a, there's not going to be a next step. Right. It, and you're always looking at the screenwriter like, how do I make things worse for the people I love? And I think, another, <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> it's true, the yes. fake people I love.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um Sometimes the real yeah. ones. Um, <laughs> I think an, another mistake that uh, beginning, especially feature screenwriters make is that thing of Having bad things happen to your characters—that has to come from the characters, mm-hmm. uh, right? Or at least it has move to be them along. Relevant their, to them, yeah. yeah. So
3: like you know, uh, if, if a character needs to be confronted with—I mean, the, the whole—it's all we're all doing versions of the Job story. Yeah. where we're God and our character's Job, and we're throwing stuff. And, and Job's actually a terrible story on a narrative level because <laughs> it's pointless. He makes yeah. a pointless argument with Satan. And truly, as God, he should be just okay with not having to prove things to anybody.
2: Yeah. But, he should be literally bigger than that. Yeah, he yeah. should
3: just have a little more confidence. Yeah. Than,
1: and that's presuming God is our protagonist. Yeah, I no, mean, God the is, real protagonist case, the God has is no the, stake in God's this. God's not the
3: protagonist. God's the writer. Exactly. And he's a bad writer because he's coming. So like, in the Bible stories is awful. But, you know, you you want to deliver the proper torment. There's a reason. I mean, we did a whole podcast on Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm.
1: That, if you guys haven't checked that out, go check out that episode of uh, Script Notes. That was really well done. Really thank you, thank a fun you. listen. I boarded a train, a plane after listening to that, and was like, "Well, I got Groundhog Day on my iPad. I need to watch it right yeah, now." Yeah, <laughs> it's
3: it, it's it's a pretty spectacular movie, and because it is so elegant, it doesn't reinvent any wheel. It just makes the best wheel. Mm-hmm. And one thing that you get from it inherently is that. The, the supernatural premise, the bad thing, and all the bad things contained within it are exactly what this guy needs. He needs to learn the value of life. And the best way to learn the value of life is to be forced to do it until you figure it out. And, um, and there are all sorts of other wonderful ramifications to that. But that's the right—they matched the, the punishment to the hero— <laughs> Yeah. And a good punishment will also, even inherent in the punishment, is the promise of reward. Yes. Like, aha, you needed to suffer in this way because in suffering this way you will find enlightenment, and your and your true suffering will cease. So you you have to think about all of this stuff kind of in parallel. Um, but not for more than an hour or two in a row. It just doesn't work. <laughs>
0: that
1: that's actually uh, brings me to a question I was curious about from you guys. Who You're working on multiple projects. You're recording this podcast. Every, you're putting it out every week. Yes. Um, I would imagine you go to a lot of meetings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How how much actual writing do you get done? What is yeah. your like? What does your workday look like? Uh,
2: so my, my actual workday is um, Stuart gets Stuart Stuart for dollar one. everyone. Uh, Stuart for dollar Stuart's dollar. here in
1: person. Stuart that's from it. the podcast.
2: Yeah, Stuart's here. Uh, that's not actually Stuart. Yeah, that's not really Stuart. It's not yeah. Stuart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: You know why everyone see, buys into this whole Stuart thing? Yes, Who'd you get today for Stuart? By the way, uh, where is yeah. he? He's hit, he's Ooh, hit, never hey, Stewart, of Today, where are you? <laughs> oh, there he is. Matt Damon. Yeah. yeah oh, he looks a lot like the other steward. He, he
2: does probably. look a lot like the other He's steward. pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Um, Stuart arrives at like 9 a.m., and so the, the workday sort of technically starts. Slaps on awake. To your home or your office? Uh, we have an office in the garage. Okay. So, your so home a, office. Home office. And uh, Stuart arrives, That day technically starts. Um, <laughs> but uh, arrives. But, I mean, often I'll have been writing before then or I'll be doing other stuff before then. Um Stuart leaves at about six pm, so the workday sort of stops at six pm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that those are the outer boundaries of what I call my work life, in the sense that like I have a, I pl- a plausible excuse for like why I'm not in that house, like raising my child or doing other stuff. So it's that, that those kind of boundaries on, on my life, mm-hmm. um, but it, it hugely varies. And so writing this um, pilot for this TV show, it's been you know sometimes four or five hours of writing a day, which is a lot that's for a me. Lot. Which is a lot to do. Um, but more often it's you know an hour or two, and, and two good hours of writing is plenty. And I think sometimes people beat themselves up like, oh, I only wrote for like two hours. Like, no, two hours is great. Three hours is awesome if you actually got work done and you sort of you know, moved down the field.
1: Do you give yourself like either a page count or a number of hours or at least have in your head, here's what I'd like to accomplish today so you don't get frustrated when you don't? We don't care about page count at <laughs> Script Notes. <Yeah. laughs> Listen, TV's a moving train. we yeah. got to do a certain yeah. number of pages a day.
2: Um, I do have a sense of like what I need to get accomplished and sort of how much needs to be done in a day. And I, I sense when I'm behind or when I'm not. And I, I've, I've been in situations where I've actually made sort of the devil's deal of like, if I don't write at least five pages th- this day, I'm going to send a check to this horrible organization <laughs> or something like that. I, I, I will I will force myself to do it at times. But uh have actually done that? I've actually done that. And sent the check. I've sent the check. And so I've then had to send a, a matching donation to the other charity actually. on the other side <laughs> to balance it out karmically. Um, if, anyone, if anyone actually wants to do this, here's, here's the trick. Because, of course, you don't want to like, have your name associated with this horrible charity that you, you don't believe in at all. Right. antithetical to everything you believe in. So there's ways you can d- donate anonymously. And so I will donate to like, this horrible charity. Um, and I'll say, like, and I'll put in the memo field, like, I hate everything about your organization. Twenty to twenty-five dollars, um, but you can do that anonymously, so you, they can't actually come back and, and find out who you were. That, that's, that's why I keep
3: getting twenty-five-dollar checks. From you. <laughs>
2: that's. Uh, I'm actually Mabel Parsons. That's that's that's, that's what. Hey, called. man, whatevs. Yeah, that's money in
3: my pocket. Uh, Craig, what does your workday look like? Uh, it's a little more loosey-goosey than what John described. I. I practice what I call the loose, rigid system of scheduling. Uh, I have a rigid goal for the week that is... It's not about pages, but about where in the story I want to be. And um, however I get there, I get there. Mm-hmm. That said, generally, it's its similar to what John's describing. A good hour or two of writing, possibly three. I think there's deeply diminishing returns after that point. The, what I tend to do is think about what i'm supposed to be mm-hmm. writing before i write it i really don't like the feeling of sitting down and going okay interior <laughs> yeah bar? That, that never right. works yeah. <laughs> so that's a disaster <clears throat> so it's a little bit like when you were kids and you would make up a song as you went you know it's just horrible so so i like to sort of daydream the scene and and, and the shower is wonderful for that. I'm a big fan of thinking about this stuff in the shower. And then when I have a sense of roughly how the scene works, both visually and in terms of content and how it's going to be structured and even the page, I really tried to see the movie in my head. Mm-hmm. Then I sit down, and then it's just about really focusing in and writing it uh, in a focused fashion over the course of a, of a couple of hours. However, there have been days where I just knew it wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I just – I'm okay with that because yeah. I've had the luxury – I have the luxury of experience. I know that it, that is not determinative. One bad day doesn't mean a bad week or a bad month or a bad script. So um, I tend to hit my target with remarkable precision over the long run, even if there's weird fluctuations throughout.
1: Um, and do you guys find it easy to, or difficult to uh, negotiate different types of scripts or different ways of scripting? depending on where you are in the projects?
2: Yeah, there's, I mean, I will say my general... Um, uh, how I generally attack things is I will s- s- kind of start at the start. When I'm really digging in on script, I, those first 10, 15, 20 pages are incredibly important for knowing what my world is, what my characters are. But then after that point, I will skip around and write anything that appeals to me. So it's a way of, to sort of stop yourself from getting caught on that moment. Like, a lot of times I just won't know how to really do a scene. I can't loop it in my head. I can't make it work. So I'll do something I can do and just you know, fill out all the pieces early in the process I'd love to write those last I write the ending so I know what I'm writing towards even if I know I'm going to go back through and do that eventually just getting that out of the way is incredibly helpful um, and then I'm filling in towards the middle and that's great because you sort of know everything that's around it a lot of times you recognize like I thought I needed that scene I don't really need that scene and uh, it works much better to sort of uh, fill in towards the middle mm-hmm. and so it's and you can do
1: that think. on multiple scripts at, at a time too. Um,
2: I'm rarely really writing on multiple projects in the same day or the same session. That's Sometimes they're in completely different stages though. So like even this last week I had to go through and for the Big Fish musical, um, we're doing a version um, down the road that is has a very significant change in it. And so I had to do some work on that script um, while writing to the pilot, and those are just completely separate things. But to try to write two first drafts at the same time mm-hmm. would be a yeah. mess. Uh, you've never had to do that. Have you? No,
3: that's madness. You can't do it. No. You can't do it. You you really will screw up. I mean, I can I can balance things if they're in different places, but no matter how many things you're balancing, you're doing one thing. There's yeah. one thing that's the thing, and then the other ones you're just kind of basically
1: trying to keep aloft a little bit. The that becomes the thing, so that
2: yeah, so that people yeah. don't go away. Yeah, but I will say like the growth of this last process. Um, I also make a lot of apps, so I make the app Weekend Read for reading scripts on your iPhone, and make the app Highland uh, for which is a screenwriting app. And what's weird is that like so much of my screenwriting life is actually like I'm I'm using the app that I make, and so I'll something something will break, and I'll yell at Nima, and uh, and we'll fix the thing that doesn't work the way I want it to work. And so it's it's that weird thing of like you, you know. I'm fully, wholly in the world of the thing that I'm writing until something annoys me, and then I can step outside and get that thing corrected and, and be back in, in that space, too. So it's part of my daily work life, but it's not just my writing.
1: Yeah. Um, I want to make sure we have time for questions from the audience. Do you guys have questions? So I'm going to ask these guys uh, at least one more question. Uh, while I do that, I want you all to make a lot of noise, and uh, if you have a question, come up and stand by this black pole right here. Uh, and we will get to as many questions as we can. Uh, so what I want to ask you guys and um, I don't know that this has been addressed on script notes uh, and tell me if it has and I'll, I'll just go listen to that instead of answering. Do you guys like writing? Do you enjoy the writing process?
0: Uh,
2: no. yeah. I, um, I generally don't, I really don't like it and I will do whatever I can to avoid writing it. I love having written. I love like, oh look at this thing I wrote. I'm going to read that again. That's awesome. Um, but
1: but that, no, that is I, like the dirty secret of writers, by the way. I no. feel like we like to write, read the stuff that we wrote.
2: But I do like to imagine. I, I like the imagination of it all. And so it, it's really fun to be looping the scene in my head. Like, oh, that's really fun. But then to actually get it down and like, get it perfect on the page is a lot of work. And it's because it's, it's a thousand decisions. And each uh, word you choose in that sentence, it's like, the, there's, what's the next word? Well, that's 10 more thousand choices for the next thing. So it's really taxing. And, and nobody likes that. It's, it's, it's exhausting. <laughs> yes,
3: I mean, <clears throat> I hate starting writing. Mm-hmm. Hate it. Every day when I start, I hate it. I would, I'll do almost anything to not start writing. But if I know in my mind what I'm supposed to write and I have some clarity and I finally start writing, somewhere after the nausea begins to fade, <laughs> I do slip into this very lovely state mm-hmm. Fugue state—I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah,
2: there's there's flow, and every, sometimes yeah. flow happens, and it's great. Like when you're in that, like oh, yeah. I can just keep going and going and going.
3: I do really like that. I can you maintain that? Well, for a bit, you yeah. know, you can maintain it for a bit, and uh, and usually it's connected to the idea of a sequence, which is one of the mm-hmm. things we've been talking about with trying to reimagine the screenplay format because it has nothing to do with location; it's about sequence and. When you're in the sequence and you're watching that sequence, you are, you are experiencing on some very bone level what you want the audience to experience, which is tension and confusion and then realization and, and, and relief or sadness, whatever the hell it is. But you get into there and you do it, and it's very nice. I like that part. I just yeah. hate starting.
2: Yeah, when you're really in flow, it sort of feels like you're not actually writing stuff down, but like you're erasing. Like the words were already there, and you're just erasing the stuff that was over them. It's like, oh, the words were already there, and like you have like one yeah. of those magic pens that reveals what was actually there. That's when it's the best. Um, but that doesn't always happen, and you can't sit around waiting for that to happen because it just. You won't. just gotta start. So yeah. Working.
1: So what are your uh, methods for kickstarting? Is it just writing garbage?
2: No. No, no, no garbage. Uh, my methods are just just you, you loop the scene until you? You, you loop the scene until you see it and then you I, I do what's called the scribble version. And so it's not garbage, but it's just it's the quickest, dirtiest version of what it looks like, often just handwritten down, so that I get this looped version in some sort of rememberable form. Yeah. And then you start to make the better version of that. So you're you know, polishing that idea. So that the scribble version is often just the dialogue and enough of the the action to sort of show what is there so you can piece it together again.
1: handwriting it sounds really valuable too because yeah. it's it's so temporary yeah. right you know you're not committing to this thing because it's not going in your document or, or exactly.
3: you yeah, I don't hand anything
1: <laughs> my hands so, don't even work anymore how, so, sorry yeah. how do you kick start you know how do you get
3: through that nausea at the beginning you just do it you do it this is the discipline it's a job people are paying you or you wish to be paid one day You have a wife or a husband. You have children or a dog. You've got a mortgage or rent. This is is what adults do. Mm -hmm. And I've had this discussion with my son a number of times (laughs) (laughs) about his homework. And uh, it's not always, we don't always get to do what we want to do. And there are rewards for getting through an initial pain. And I know that those rewards are greater than the avoidance of that initial pain. I just have to do it. And then you do it, and 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 it's it never goes away. So make your peace with it. Uh, and very quickly before
1: we get to these questions, uh, another just quick process thing: Do you listen to music when you write? Do you listen to anything when you write?
2: I generally don't listen to music while I'm writing, but when I start on a project, when I'm sort of putting it all together, I'll make myself the sort of the soundtrack of what mm-hmm. that project sounds like. So in iTunes, I'll put together all the tracks that sort of remind me of it. It's just a good it's just a good way of sort of Kicking your brain into thinking, oh, I'm writing the movie that would have this soundtrack, and that's really helpful. But rarely do I actually have that music playing while I'm writing stuff. I will if
3: I'm writing something that is specifically without dialogue. It's an action sequence or just a a bit of expanse, like the scene in in the Cowboy Ninja Viking where we're sort of drifting through this abandoned hospital. And there's a great song by Pink Floyd called "If." And, and uh, so I would just play it while I was writing. I just sort of had it on loop while I was writing because that's what I want to be in the movie. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, but that's nice. But never, if people are talking in the scene, why would I want music on? I can't hear them. A... <laughs> yeah. nice. All right, let's get
1: some questions here.
3: Uh, first off, thanks for being awesome. Thanks. Uh, thanks. Uh, you're, you're welcome. You're, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most, mostly there. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had a quick question. This is my house.
2: <laughs> what
3: did I, talk to you a little bit about action sequences i know neither one of you are really specifically action guys but i'm thinking of something like the born identity Mm -hmm. where you've got a character that's responding to his situation and the geography Mm -hmm. of the position that he or she is in you can get really bogged down on like oh here's how this building looks and here's how these stairs go and what's the kind of percentage that you go to with how you're explaining the action and how you're explaining the surroundings
2: as well. And yeah. how do you not fall into the pitfall of, like, oh, then there's 27 steps and then he goes around the, yeah. you know, exactly. Right. right. So I, I, there's a YouTube video I did where I took an action scene and rewrote it um, sort of in real time to sort of show sort of how I would do that on the thing. Because you're exactly right. Your instincts are right that you need to create this sense of what, what it feels like without being so specific and pedantic about every little detail. You can't, if you're trying to track every punch thrown, it's just going to be awful. So you need to, you know, be in a weird way poetic about sort of what the fight feels like, what the action sequence feels like, and let the people who are going to actually do it figure out what that is. I mean, always remember that a screenplay should give you the sense of, of watching a movie, but it doesn't have to give you every last little detail. Just like the same way you're not describing every bit of costume. You're not describing every bit of an action sequence.
3: Yeah, I try and apply, uh, because I've been writing more action lately, and I try and apply a need-to-know basis rule. What does the reader need to know? so that they can make sense of the scene. The important parts of the scene, the, most, the only important part of an action scene are the choices that the hero is making in relation to the action that reflects on who they are and how they are changing, growing, defying something, beating, whatever it is. But that's what we're connecting to. We're, we're much less, when we're reading a script, we're much less interested in how gorgeous that car pirouette is because we're, we can't quite see <laughs> yeah. it, you know? So need to know. I need to have a general sense of geography. I don't want people to not have any idea where this person is. And I need to really key on in the moments where choices are made, and I need to support those choices with the information that clarifies them to the reader. All that matters is that you're getting your dramatic intention across. I guarantee you, you already know what is essential, and you already know what isn't. Now, we sometimes, we, we like to play with our Legos and get all excited <laughs> about the building. Uh, just concentrate on your, your dramatic intention. I think the rest of the stuff will fall away. Cool. Uh, thank Thanks. all of you for doing a great podcast. Thanks. Oh, thank
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the first part of this podcast, you were talking about how, as feature writers, you go into writers' room sometimes, like on television. Mm-hmm. We have television writers, how sometimes they have to kill their baby for the sake of a story. Mm-hmm. But as guys who are going to rewrite features, sometimes not even talking to the guy who wrote the original draft. Sometimes you have to kill someone else's baby, whether you like it or whether, <laughs> right. whether you like yes. it or n- that's right,
2: whether you like it or not. Do you sometimes struggle with that decision? Where this guy wrote something amazing, but from my vision of this, it doesn't work. Yeah. Yes, the answer is absolutely yes. Sometimes you will recognize that there was an intention. There was uh, this person had this vision of a movie, and these moments happen in, in their version of this movie but that movie's not going to get made. It's not, no one's making that movie. They're trying to make this movie, and this movie is going to have these needs, and it's now this way. And it could be based on who the director was, what the casting is, who, what the studio is, what other movies are out there. There's, there's some reason it has happened why that other movie isn't getting made. And so that's why I try to reach out to the original writers to let them know that like, I'm on their side. I'm not, I'm not a contract killer in here to do something terrible. It's just that that's the reality of where we're at.
3: Yeah, I, I always talk to the prior writer. I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm on their side because I'm kind of not. I yeah. mean, I'm on the movie side. Yeah, that's what you're on. And, and there are times when, you know, there's something in their script that I really love and I really work and work to try and keep it in there until I realize it's just not fitting anymore, you know? Yeah. And so you, you I, I try and be respectful of anything that I think is going to be good. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then it's not, you know? and And, and I have to give myself the opportunity to make that choice and should it come to pass that somebody then comes in after me well they'll be doing the same thing you know so yeah it sucks what are you going to do
2: yeah I, you said i like to say that you're on the movie side you're also on the audience's side and you're you're really looking at like i'm imagining this final vision of the movie and i'm sitting in the theater watching it what is the best experience for that, that audience member and you're as responsible to that person as you are to the writer or to the director or anybody else
3: thanks john and craig uh, my question is about.
2: Oh, and Ben. Thanks, Ben.
3: His name is Ben. Uh, my question is really about you know, we have solo writers and writing partners. Mm-hmm. In the music world, you have people that have multiple projects, you know, they'll play drums in one band and they sing in another band and they have multiple things. Yeah. And I find myself in that situation in screenwriting where I have multiple projects, I have writing partners that are very different, yeah. and I also have a solo project. Is this common? Is this something you see happening? What are some implications for this? It's it's not common. No. Uh, but it, I think it could become more common. It, it could. I, look, you, you always have to be wary of dilettantism, you know, of... Sort of, I'm the sort of person that just likes to snack on lots of little things. And the new is always exciting. New men are exciting. New women are exciting. It's always exciting, right? So, you know, you can get caught up in the newest shiny thing. And suddenly you realize I've got 12 things that are all 20% done. I think that writing takes extraordinary focus. Even bad writing takes extraordinary focus. If you find that you are finishing things and you find that you are in productive relationships and you're able to balance them all, God bless you. If you don't, then I think you need to consider cutting back and focusing, because it is a rare person that can that can handle multiple relationships and multiple projects. A little bit like multiple families with multiple children. It's super hard. You got to lie to the one wife. You're on the road. And yeah. Tell the other one. You call the one the diff- wrong name. I, dude, it's a mess. <laughs> I, I, th-
2: I think your band analogy is actually really interesting too, because. A band, yes, it can make an album, but an album is, is a lesser period of time than writing a whole whole screenplay. It's, it's a more contained process. But also it's really performing. You're out there entertaining people. So I know funny people who are in multiple comedy groups, and that's great. That makes a lot of sense um, because they're, they're dropping in. It's all about that live performance and doing stuff together. But really writing, especially writing something as long as a feature, I think you're going to find it – you're not going to be able to do your best work for. And, um, all those projects simultaneously, you're going to have to make some choices. But I will say, in general, I think there are going to be more cases where writers are teamed up with different people on different things, and that's going to be really confusing and complicated for the writers guild stuff, which really perceives things like you're a team or you're not a team, and they want you to sort of be one or the other.
1: Are you are you writing just features?
0: Of uh, features and television. Yeah. Yeah. Because
1: it, the, as soon as that television. Pilot cells that you wrote with one partner—that's your partner on television stuff. You know, like they're, they're pretty specific about that. True, true. Um, thank
0: you. Cool shirt. Great shirt. Oh, cool, thank shirt. you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, actually, I, I identify more with Team Umbridge, but col- uh, orange looks horrible. Yeah, with no, I'm with collection. you, man. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I feel the same way. I yeah. you realize that I got screwed on that, right? I mean, you know, I know that I got now. screwed. <laughs> Yeah. All right. well, um, I guess I have two questions if I may, um, but the first one is that you often, Craig um, mentioned that you ruminate a lot in the shower, and you know you thought it yeah. think a lot about it. That's, that's a word. You know where this yeah. is going, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, but I guess my question is, um, uh-huh. what, what does your water bill look like? Uh-huh. <laughs> substantial substantial yeah. uh, I figured yeah. okay no but I actually have a serious question um, so we talk a lot about like film and television and you know as someone who writes specs most mostly or at least that's my experience I can imagine what features look like um, or like what that process like the lone uh, I guess lonely writer yeah. process but anyway with television to me it's just like I can't imagine what it's like so like if you guys could Like, if you're a Vince Gilligan, just to narrow the scope here, right? And you're writing Breaking Bad and, you know, you're the mastermind of this first episode, um, the pilot episode. But then, like, do you have an outline for what's going to happen in the next five seasons. And, you know, you show that to the executives and they're like, okay, well, we like this first episode and we like this outline. Or is it more like we just create this episode? And then no,
3: you you generally do need to provide them. I mean, some there are different <coughs> words for it. Sometimes they call it a Bible, a show Bible. You, in order to purchase a show, unless you are Vince, which I honestly think they would just give him a blank check. But if you're just a regular person, and you're trying to sell them on a show, and you have a script for the pilot, they're also going to want to know from you. Prove to me at least with some summaries that this is actually show you could write many, many episodes up because we're not in the business... I mean, even in basic cable, we need episodes. We need episodes to sell. And certainly in Network, their goal is 100. So you need to be able to prove to them that you have multiple story ideas that will, in fact, pour out of this concept. And you need to give them a general sense of the arcs of the characters over the first... I mean, sometimes they even ask you for up to two seasons' worth. Um, I mean, they understand that at that point you're just lying anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but but the point is at least okay. In theory, you can write this. You can write a whole mess of episodes based on this concept. You will need to show that.
2: Jordan Mechner and I did a pilot called Ops for Fox, and we ended up writing two separate pilots with um, changes in regimes and things. But uh, on the website, you can also see the documents we turned in with those because that actually shows the other a- sort of episode summaries of like other future episodes because it wasn't a heavily serialized show but they needed to see like what kinds of things were going to happen week after week so had we actually gotten a series we weren't committed to like those would have to be those those episodes they just needed a sense of what was going to be possible had we sort of gotten the series order we would have brought writers in and we would have really (coughs) broken stuff apart and explored what we wanted to do but they need to know what else is possible there, and sort of what directions you're heading into.
1: And I would add, maybe this goes without saying, but you know, it needs to be evident from your pilot mm-hmm. that this yes. series can have more than just a pilot. Yeah. You know, they need to know what episodes
2: two through ninety nine look like. I see. Okay. Well, thank you. I would also add. <laughs> I, I, I would also listen to Ben's podcast because he, they talk about this a lot. <laughs> oh, okay. That's what I was going to add.
3: Thanks, Thank
2: you. Hi guys. I was wondering if you talk a little bit about pitching Mm -hmm. and more more about going in and pitching on something that a lot of writers are going in and they want to see oh, who uh, has the best take yeah. or if you have an original idea and as opposed to a, a spec going in and say hey what about doing something like this I don't know if that's how it works or whatever it can it can, it yes. can. so yes. cl- classically a pitch is really that second thing Like you would think a pitch would be like I have this great idea for a movie and so I'm going in and pitching in so I'm setting up the whole everything in this um, the sweepstakes pitching is more what you're describing in that first scenario which is uh, where you have... There's a project of that that's out there. So an adaptation of a book, uh, an existing property, Slinkies, um, or some sort of like... Uh, we're going to make the Slinky movie. Come in and pitch us a, a take on the Slinky movie. And um, that that happens. And so you have to decide, like, am I going to be one of the 15 writers going in on the Slinky pitch? And that's it's really tough. Um, because how am I going to differentiate my pitch from every other pitch? How are they going to remember mine versus the other one? The very first thing I... I my paid writing job was kind of that situation though it was a book called How to Eat Fried Worms and it was by Thomas Rockwell and uh, it was me versus all these really funny Simpsons writers who so had their funny Simpsons episodes and my writing samples for this was the Natural Born Killers novelization
0: <laughs> and uh,
2: <laughs> uh, a romantic tragedy so like I was like the, the worst person going into it but everyone was pitching their things and so I brought in Worms and it, it felt very stunty but I really wanted people to remember like this is what we're actually talking about it's like it's like picking worms out of the dirt and eating those I said I didn't eat them in the room I wasn't that gross but um, <laughs> I was going in there and I could have I spent weeks working on that pitch and I could have not gotten it and that's really the danger of uh, sweepstakes pitching is you have a bunch of writers spending a tremendous amount of time and almost none of them are going to be working on
1: it what did that pitch actually look like you know for, you yeah. come in you throw down a box of worms but how did the pitch actually sound
2: do you remember um, no Every pitch should have the spirit of, I just saw an amazing movie, and let me tell you what it's like, and this is what, what sort of what happens. And of course when, you, when, you pitch, when you try to convince your best friend to see a movie, you're not going to tell them every detail. You're going to really set up the world, you're going to set up the main characters, sort of how it all begins, the complications along the way, and then you're going to wrap it up nicely. And so after establishing the world, the tone, I described sort of like how the world we were showing the movie from sort of like a three foot tall point of view rather than a five foot tall point of view just that sense like it's not adults looking down at it it's, it's all from this side and the, the adults are sort of a little bit above everything else I described that and then I also then I dumped out the, the worms on a, a plate I brought uh, so everyone could sort of they could writhe around and people say like and this is what we're sort of getting into is are these worms and um, talked them through the beats but I did it like three times for different executives and things like that and I brought the worms The ones. But. Oh, exactly. yeah. They,
3: um, pitching is, um, sometimes you pitch uh, an original idea. It's rare that they will hear new writers pitching original ideas because they just don't want to waste their time because 99,999 out of whatever that number is, it just won't be very good. At least that's what they think. But you will, yeah, there are times when you have to go pitch for on a job. Mm-hmm. The only thing I can add to what John said, because it was all very good, uh, very insightful and very good advice, is that... People respond to things that they don't tell you they're responding to. They'll tell you that, there was, that they respond to story and content. What they're actually responding to is passion and your ability to inspire confidence in them and comfort them. That's yes. what they... that's, And they can't tell you that because then they... It's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? But, yeah. um, but that's what they respond to. And so part of the game for you is to figure out what you are passionate, where the passion is for you in your pitch, and push that. And then also to understand how to be comforting to a person that has to spend a lot of money on something they cannot control but for which they will be held accountable. Just like we
1: talked about, you know, people can tell when there's passion in a script. If you can make them feel something with that pitch, that goes a long way.
3: It does. It does. Don't uh, touch d- oh,
1: okay. <laughs> I
0: Totally forgot
1: about that. Hi. Okay. So my. You should question have let her touch them. All. <laughs> I am married, <laughs> um, I have a question. I just started with I. <laughs> wow. Hey, by the way,
3: everyone did. I don't know if yeah. you had to I actually, <laughs> everyone said. Everyone did. Yeah.
1: So it was. It's about an episode, um, the one with Mike Probygleya, mm-hmm. and I sort of had a follow up. I was just listening to that recently sure, yeah. about having that one moment that you're working toward, that as the writer, you're the only one who knows what that is. And my question was sort of about expectations and how that plays in Mm -hmm. and how often when you're writing, are you actually thinking about that moment in your head and whether or not it's important if that moment is satisfying the expectations of the audience or completely defying the expectations? Mm
3: -hmm. Well, it depends on what the moment is. But there are times when you have a twist, Mm -hmm a big reveal, a thing that recontextualizes everything that comes before it. And you need to be sure that as a craftsperson that you are leading the audience precisely where you need them to be in a way that retroactively makes sense and also then you go, oh my God, Mm -hmm. everything is not... I realize now that it's like one of those things, am I looking at the old woman or the young woman, depending, you know, it's the optical illusion. You need to have both that somehow function at the same time. However, there are times... When you realize, you know, uh, I've built a little too much into this twist for what it's revealing. That, in fact, I'm kind of losing some good story meat here because I'm playing hide the ball so much. And you have to kind of evaluate on a case-by-case basis. And sometimes it's okay to say, I'm going to kind of give that away. Because the valuable part of it isn't that it's recontextualizing anything. The valuable part of it is that somebody's starting to catch on to something but is going to be in denial that it's true. Mm-hmm. You know, There, are, these choices are up to you. There's no one answer, but it's good that you're thinking about it. I think that's what you have to do is really make sure that you are thinking about that twist and that it makes sense
2: and is valuable for your script because if it isn't, oh my
3: God, you got to get rid of it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the real challenge of, of all writing is you know what's going to happen next and you have to, at, at the same time, not know what's going to happen next. And so you have to be, be able to read the story and experience a story without any sense of what's coming down the road. So in general, expectation is your best friend because people will approach a story with a set of expectations about the genre, <coughs> about the kind of thing this is, and because they have those expectations, you get a lot of things for free. So if you're writing a Western, you don't have to explain horses and saddles and and, every, and cattle. Like, all that stuff just comes for free. Or even, like, you know, that, that the railroad is trouble. Like, we, we get all that. You only have to do the work to explain what's different in your world, and that's, you know, if the if the railroad people are the good people in your world, you have to sort of do that work. But expectation is also, can help you with surprise. And, and so all the things that you get for free with those expectations, sometimes you can use this to your advantage to actually like pull a surprise. And you, can, you get one or two or maybe three surprises in a script where like no one saw that coming. But if you did it all the time, People would would lose trust in you. People wouldn't like. I don't know what this is. I don't. I don't. I, I, I give up. Yeah. And so yeah. that's what that's a really careful that's bit, right. the balance.
3: Yeah. It's about making the and and when I say twist, I didn't mean to imply that everything. Yeah. I mean, there's Or just the big moment where you know that this person is going to get run over by mm-hmm. a car. It's not a twist. It's an event. But that the when you pervert the audience's expectations that you're doing so meaningfully, that and then you having shattered their trust in your storytelling in a good way, now give them the replacement that should ideally be better. Writing those kinds of things are um that's that's good advanced screenwriting stuff. And people blow it all the time. So don't blow it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome.
3: We have time for one more.
0: Uh can you guys talk about uh like doing research when, you have a, when you're inspired for a project, do you look to other movies, do you look to uh, articles on the Internet? And can you talk about what, when you're, you're just looking at Wikipedia articles and you're going on a sinkhole versus actually you know finding out information that's relevant?
2: Yeah, uh, research is a great way to sort of keep like waste time and not write. Um, it's, it's a really great time because it feels like you're working because I'm doing research, but I'm actually just sort of in a, a Wikipedia hayhole. Um, the but the, well, I will say what's great about research and the, and the reason why I never farm off research on somebody else is because if that process of researching is sort of creating the questions in my head that I sort of want to answer and it's. it's it's leading me down all these paths, making me think of the stuff, or just the weird turns of phrase that I find there are great, or that, that random image I stumbled across that no one would know would f- click for me are really, really useful. So research is fantastic when it's helpful, but it's just so easy to make that a distraction like, oh, before I start the scene, I, I need to watch the whole Godfather trilogy again. Well, that's a great way to not write yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, if you want to jerk off, just jerk off. You know, yeah. you know. <laughs> right? <laughs>
3: right? Um, That's how we end every podcast. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: this is the Talking official, about this it. This is it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh,
3: no. Uh, oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> research to me is something that I do in the moment I, I don't usually let a story be led by research rather the other way around so I'm writing something and I think okay I you know I need a cool place um, I need a, like a really yeah. interesting slummy place that I haven't seen before that's dangerous but I, I don't want it to be I want it to be in Europe I want it to be in like where's the weird slum in northern Europe and I'll <laughs> start looking around you know so I, that that's good but it's purposeful mm-hmm. and it's and it's goal oriented I have yeah. You know, a very specific thing I need to satisfy, and and, and, then okay, I got my answer, and off I go. Uh, You know, maybe early on in a project, you can kind of give yourself a week or two to to do research if it's that kind of movie. But I think John's right. Usually, people are just stalling. Don't be a staller.
2: Yeah. Um.
1: Before we wrap up, I can't imagine there's anybody who did not listen to part one of this podcast on Script Notes, but in case there is, um, do you want to mention the live show that is coming up?
2: Yes. We are, in fact, doing a live show um, as a benefit for the Writers Guild Foundation. Uh, We are doing it at the Big WGA Theater in Beverly Hills. Uh, It is on May 15th. It's a Thursday, and our guests for this panel will be... Uh, people who've made some of the biggest comic book movies of the last couple of years. We have Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely from Captain America and Thor.
3: And the Narnia movies. By and right. the Narnia That's movies, right? yes.
2: Yeah, they, they're that too, but yes. they're not, yeah. I know, but I, because I like
3: those kinds of movies. All right.
1: And they also appear on next, next week's Nerdist Writers Panel.
3: Yeah, but this, oh my uh, God, you're ridiculous! There's no next week's Nerdist. This is it. This is
1: it. Sure. By the way, how could we
2: go on after this? Yeah. The, the, the surprise twist is, is this is the series finale. Yeah, um, <laughs> we're done here. Uh, ba- oh, I Batman. wish. Um, double double tap. Um, and also, uh, David Goyer is going to be joining us uh, uh, for that too. So yeah. David Goyer, the of, of DC of um, Batman, uh, Batman and Superman, Superman, and uh, Blade. Mm-hmm. Blade. There's also DC property. Yes, yes. So we we're going to solve all the issues between DC and Marvel. It's going to be a crossover episode. Yeah. There's kittens and puppies living together. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> uh, we have a live three-page challenge, so if people want to come to that, tickets go on sale this Thursday. And where can they get them? They can find them at Writer's School Foundation, so wgf.org uh, no, it's actually WGFoundation. WG, Foundation. WG .org, yeah. But we'll yeah.
1: have a link. Uh, John cool. will put a
3: link up at JohnAugust.com. Great. Yeah. That sounds fun. Yeah.
1: Um, I'm glad you asked. In addition to writing television and comic books, um, I am the co-creator co- <laughs> of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, which is a stage show in the style of old-time radio. Correct. Um, and a podcaster on the Nerdist channel. Um, we are touring this show uh, in in a big way this year. On April 26th, we will be in Chicago. Please come see us. Uh, We're bringing lots of our stars and guest stars, including Mark Evan Jackson, Mark Gagliardi, Timothy Amundsen, Richard Spate, Janet Varney, Ryder Strong, Molly Quinn. It's a crazy collection of people. Come to that. New York Town Hall, May 10th, the big show, uh, featuring all of our Thrilling Adventure Hour stars, Paul F. Tompkins, Padgett Brewster, Busy Phillips, (laughs) All the work to players in John Hodgman, Scott Adsit, Ira Glass. By the time you hear this, you will know that we have announced three more special guests: Zachary Levi uh, from your Chuck, um, <laughs> <laughs> Scott Ackerman from Comedy Bang Bang, and Dick
0: Cavett. <laughs> yeah.
1: Are you so come to real? that on May tenth for real? Dick Cavett. Dick Cavett. He's That's gonna the write coolest name he's of all, all write, the names uh, that you just but, said. Yeah. By the way. He's gonna write dumb stuff that I wrote. Dick Cavett is
0: awesome. <laughs>
1: yeah. We're gonna make him act. Sweet. Yeah, so come see it. May 10th, go, thrilling to adventure that, right? hour. go to thrillingadventurehour.com <laughs> I mean, for I mean, links to tickets. Wait, pick
2: up the phone, Craig. Oh, right. yeah, that, Finally, that, that, that's you guys, yeah.
1: um, we end the show by asking, what are you watching on television? What movies are you loving these days? What are you reading that you're getting excited about, that you're talking to your spouses about, that you're talking to your coworkers about, that you want to tell us about?
3: Uh, <laughs> well, I'm easy, because you know he watches a lot... Um, I've limited my television watching currently is Sunday night, tonight, HBO. I go for the Game of Thrones, Silicon Valley, back-to-back. That's my, that's my jam. Uh, I'm currently reading my way through uh, Agatha Christie's of. Uh, and I've got uh, yeah. Are I've you kind reading of, it for the first time or rereading? No, it? no. I uh, I've read a lot of them before, but I've, there are some that nobody's ever read. You know, really, sure. uh, and for good reason as <laughs> I'm going through, but but still, in just in terms of being a completionist and getting achievement unlocked, I'm I'm, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm making my way through through all of them. So, uh, are there any yeah. that you
1: recommend for people who have never read anything? Well, Goss?
3: I mean, you know. Uh, the, the big ones, I mean, if you, if you don't know the ending to Murder on the Orient Express, <laughs> just get off my planet already, but, um, but there are some other ones, uh, uh, Death on the Nile, um, Evil Under the Sun, I think is what that one was called, um, uh, The Mirror Cracked, uh, From Side to Side, and Then There Were None, which is not the original title, but I will not be saying the original <laughs> title, uh, and uh, the first one is spectacular, actually, maybe one of her best, because of what she pulls in it, is the, I think it's called The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. Um, where she did something that almost got her kicked out of the murder mystery writers group because they were so scandalized by the narrative audacity of her. So, um, yeah, so I'm going through that. And then, um, you know, um, in terms of, um, which, movies? Yeah, you know, movies. But what are you going to do about those? They come and go. Um, uh, I'm I'm looking for a good new video game. I've kind of blown through a lot of the... uh, I got South Park. I gotta, I gotta start yeah. South Park up. Yeah, is that worth it?
2: Yeah. All right. I could see being a good cartman.
3: Did you say cartman? Cartman. cartman.
2: cartman. <laughs> I, I, it came out of my mouth strangely, but yeah, cartman.
3: Are you an alien? <laughs> the crazy cartman. thing is, he's from Colorado. You're yeah, from where they're yeah, from. Yeah, you're am, from yeah. South Park, and you're like, yeah. hey, I could
2: cartman. Cartman. be a good cartman. You could be a good cartman. Favorites. I'm reading The Brothers Grimm, like the uh, the originals, and uh, oh, wow. uh, so. To fall asleep, I need to read something that's like interesting enough, but also sort of boring, and so it's, it's exactly the right kind of thing for, for reading <laughs> yourself to sleep. Um, but I'm finding them really disturbing in ways I wasn't expecting. Um, in sense, like there's a, the premise setups of like you know, uh, you know, he was born with a curse that he would be killed by a deer. But then it has nothing to, the rest of the story has nothing to do with like, that at all. And it's all about these other princess things. That's just crazy. And so one of my other fascinations is that it's just the worst marriage advice possible Um, in, in every Brother Grimm story. It's essentially like, you know, you'll be bound to some sort of supernatural hardship. But then someone will rescue you and you should marry them. And, that, that's, that's, and it, it really frustrates me, that sense that, you know, the first person who does something nice for you, you should marry. That's... No. It's not the worst advice.
0: <laughs>
2: that's, that's how Craig met his wife.
0: <laughs> she
2: took a
3: thorn out of my paw.
2: Oh. Yeah. Uh, um, Uh, But then a lot of my television is sort of guilty pleasure television. And uh, so I'm a huge fan of The Challenge on MTV, uh, which is one of the most iconic and stupid shows. So it's basically, it used to be the real world MTV, the real world. What's MTV? I don't know. Let's start with that. Real world Road Rules Challenge. Right. Um, So it's all the people from the real world and all the people from Road Rules. But Road Rules doesn't even exist really anymore. So it's just a bunch of like, Drunk people like knocking each other off of high platforms. I just love it. So uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's non-thinking television.
1: It Explains a lot about TV right now. <laughs> uh, please give a big round of applause for our friends from Script Notes, John August and Craig Mazin. Thanks to everyone here at Nerdus Industries of Meltdown Comics. Thanks to Eight Two Six LA, who receives all of the proceeds from the tickets you bought. Good night.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you.